SCCT invites you to Las Vegas for SCCT 2022. Over three days, July 15th through 17th, attendees can get a complete overview of the cardiovascular CT field. Planned sessions are targeted for all levels, new practitioners and experienced providers alike. Sessions also range from general overviews to state-of-the-art research and expert discussions. Visit scct.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Praveen Ranganath, and I am a radiologist in Dallas, Texas. On this episode, we will tune into a conversation between podcast host Nidhi Madan and the legendary Dr. Martha Gulati. This conversation was conducted as part of a Women in Cardiac Imaging series from the Society of Cardiovascular CT. This episode will cover the first part of their conversation, which focuses on the representation of women in academia and leadership. We will cover the second part of the conversation in a subsequent episode. Let's jump into the discussion between Nidhi and Dr. Gulati now. We'd like to welcome Dr. Martha Gulati today, and this would be our first interview for our Women in Cardiac Imaging section of the SECT. Dr. Gulati, who needs no introduction, she is an amazing woman leader for us. She is the president-elect of the American Society of Preventive Cardiology and an SCCT member and uh, has been gracious to join us today. Dr. Gulati, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. We have a few questions that we would like to ask you and have a conversation about women in cardiovascular imaging and medicine. To help set the stage for our conversation, maybe I'd like to get started with uh, your recent publication in JAHA addressing the challenge of women being underrepresented in the world of academia. We know that women are underrepresented in clinical practice, and it's not just that. They are underrepresented in research, in authorship, in leadership roles. And I would like you to talk to us about some of these challenges that women are facing today. Yeah, this this was a really interesting paper. And I will tell you, actually, a fellow in training, Dr. Devesh Rai, actually led this work. And I was so fortunate to be working on this project with him and many other great fellows in training, as well as cardiologists that are interested in this topic. And, and Devesh really wanted to ask the question, you know, where are the women in guidelines? And of course, it's probably no surprise to anyone that, you know, there's less women on guidelines. And that was true both in the United States, but internationally. We looked at the Canadian statistics and we looked at the European Society of Cardiology and we saw the same trends. It's it's slightly getting better, but 
it still is disproportionately male on all the guidelines, including just being a member of the guidelines, but of course, even more so being a chair of guidelines or even a co-chair of the guidelines is less likely if you're a woman. And of course, like you said, part of the reason, and, and the reason this is obvious, is that we don't have enough women in cardiology. So that's the first problem is that we, you know, we've struggled getting enough women into cardiology and we've struggled in terms of that growth. And and it remains something that is a challenge within the cardiology community as it is for the imaging community as well. I think that, you know, this has been a challenge for our our society in general, how do we open the doors? How do we get more women at the table? And then ultimately, how do we get them involved in clinical trials? Because the people that get involved in guidelines are usually people that have led trials. But if we don't have enough women in clinical trials being invited to lead trials, they're not going to be recognized and be asked to be on guidelines. Because if, you know, you you know how it is when we remember late breaking trials and, and big important studies that come out, we usually remember the first author or the senior author, and we don't always remember the people inside. But all of it matters because it matters who's leading the trials, but also who's who's in the trials as well, which is important because we generally see that at all levels of clinical trials, we don't have enough women. And that, again, is partially due to the fact that we don't have enough women in cardiology, but also that women aren't asked to lead these trials. We have a substantial number of female investigators and we need them to be leading trials as well. We know that when women lead trials, there's actually more diversity in those trials. There's more women included. There's more people of diverse backgrounds invited to be part of the trials. And there's considerations made in that study. How do we get a more diverse representation of our society? That's been a big issue within cardiology overall is that so many of our trials really have focused on men and particularly white men. And we certainly know we don't have enough women in in many of our clinical trials, but we also don't have people of diverse backgrounds in enough of our trials as well. So there's a reason, an argument I would say that you can make for why women need to be involved in clinical trials and hopefully also why they should lead clinical trials, but ultimately it will influence who gets on the guidelines. I think also we saw in in our study is that when a woman was a chair of a guidelines, there was again more a more diverse mix of men and women within the guidelines as well. And that's an important thing. And I think that all of our societies are being more cognizant lately of, you know, what is the makeup of any writing group or any guidelines. And I think that's good. And the only purpose of our paper was to shine some light on it, to make it, here's the numbers, here's where we are now. Let's hope that in 10 years, we're in a very different place. And I think that that, that's really, we, we know that there's, you know, people would say, of course, there's maybe more women represented actually on the guidelines and there is percent of women within the cardiology field. That it might be true, but we would like it to our community to look more like our society. For sure. I cannot agree more. I think I've seen a lot of women being more excited about joining internal medicine, joining medical school. We've seen those numbers go up, but we still struggle with them continuing their 
aspirations to come into cardiology. And that is certainly something we need to work on to get more women into our field so they can be part of the ever-evolving field of cardiology that we all love. As uh, yourself, Dr. Galati, you've been you've served numerous leadership roles on societies, on advisory boards, and including recently as the chair of the 2021 chest pain guidelines that came out. I wanted to ask you about your experience and your perspective in guideline development process and maybe some ways that you can suggest to our listeners how they can carve out this pathway for themselves in academic cardiology, academic medicine and leadership roles? Yeah, I, I think guidelines is something quite interesting because, you know, you get invited to, whether you're invited to chair them or you're invited to be a part of the writing group, it really is a little bit of a mystery who gets picked. <laughs> and I think part of one of the comments we made in our paper about guidelines is that there should be a little more transparency. So it's not that someone can necessarily apply and say, hey, I want to be on the writing group of these guidelines. What they try to do, and rightfully so, is pick the experts in the field, right? That's the voices that need to be there. I think otherwise the guidelines don't have as much value to our community if it isn't people that are at the front lines, whether we're talking about, you know, chest pain guidelines, who's doing the studies, who's enrolling the patients in those kind of trials, trying to figure out what is the best method for determining is this cardiac or non-cardiac, what's the next test. So we need those people there. But, you know, we also need as a cardiology community to also think about, obviously, who who needs to be represented. So I'll tell you just for the chest pain guidelines, since that's my only experience. So when I was asked to be the chair and I was, they had already actually picked the two co-chairs, but they were talking to me after they picked the co-chairs and they told me about the whole process and, you know, what would be involved. And, and, you know, to some degree, I don't think anyone can predict entirely what's involved. There's always politics involved in um, writing of the guidelines and people who know the chest pain guidelines, these were the first chest pain guidelines. So it isn't that we were updating a previous guidelines. There had never been a chest pain guideline. But also, you know, making sure that all the imaging societies are fairly represented is important. And it took us four years to make everybody happy, almost four years to the date of their release. And so there, there, there is politics involved, of course, around this. But I will say from the standpoint of me as the chair, how did I get to choose the people that wrote the guidelines with me? Well, like I said, first thing was, is that we knew that we needed all the imaging societies included. So first, what we did is sat down and said, who needs to be at the table? Well, we need somebody from SCCT. We need somebody from the American Society of Echocardiography. We need somebody from the nuclear, someone from cardiac MRI. We need interventionalists. So we knew who we needed there. But And then we had to find experts, obviously, in addition to that. We might have had some weight, I, I suppose, an opinion about who should be the people the other people. But for the imaging societies, just so people know, it was the imaging societies who nominated their own people. So SCCT, when we said, we would like to invite you to be part of our guidelines, please give us names. 
Well, they gave us names and then we got to decide from the, maybe some of them gave us two names and we would choose from them mostly based on what research they had done in the field, but based on, you know, knowing if we could work well with that person, but also what kind of background did they come from in terms of enhancing diversity. At least for me, that was an important consideration. I wanted to make sure that I had women well represented. I wanted people from more diverse backgrounds on my guidelines. So those might have weighed into who we chose, but we didn't choose, like we didn't go to SCCT and say, hi, we'd like to have Ron Blankstein, for example, on our guidelines. No, they gave us the names of who they thought should be on the guidelines. And then we chose them based on their, their expertise and other considerations. So that's why it's so important for us to be involved in our communities. And by that, I mean, of course, American College of Cardiology is our overarching community, but also the communities of our our societies where we specialize. So for example, SCCT, being an active member, being a participant, someone knowing the community, you're more likely to be chosen that way perhaps than the bigger ACC community. And that's why I think people might think like I got to go out and cherry pick all my friends. I'll tell you, I became friends with a lot of these people because we wrote the guidelines. Not that I knew all of them before, or I might have known their work, but for a few of them, I'd say I never spoke to them before in my life until we wrote the guidelines. And after, you know, almost four years of working together, we all got to know each other really, really well. And I would say now I would say they're all my friends and uh, a great bunch of people. And not that we always agreed on everything, but we, we learned to respect each other and respect our differences. But I would say that the community from which they came from were often their specialty societies. And I think that's a way to make it clear within that community that you you have interest or for them to know what work you're doing because they're also trying to find the experts. They're not usually, I don't think anyone was just choosing people out of thin air saying, you know, this person would be good just because, you know, he'll represent nuclear well, or he'll, he, he or she will represent cardiac MR well. It was more, this is the expert. This person has done most of the research in this area. And so that's why they should sit at the table. That's great. I, I completely understand. And that's, that's something I feel that I've noticed as I've gone through my training process that as you start your training, you're interested in certain topics of research, you build your path towards something bigger. And as you evolve in this field, you would probably suggest starting off early, getting involved in different opportunities that you could get maybe, and then hopefully have a pathway towards more research and society involvement. Yeah. I also was thinking to ask you about whether uh, these differences that we see in representation of women are these across specialties or uh, I know we've talked, we talk about cardiology and imaging. We talk about different specialties within cardiology. How do you feel about these differences existing across specialties? For example, we have radiology representation in our imaging societies as well. And uh, do you think that this pertains across the board or this is more of a challenge for cardiology or specialties that are more 
difficult to pursue or uh, is have a perception of being difficult? Well, I think every every community within medicine would say we there's problems with getting women until we get an equal representation of women and men. And so there's only a few specialties that I would say have achieved that kind of, those kind of numbers that we aspire to. Specialties like obstetrician, gynecologist, specialties like pediatrics. For many of the other specialties, we struggle, but I would say cardiology specifically struggles the most. We know for our fellows in training, it's about 20% women, which is much better than back when I was training. But in terms of active practicing cardiologists, we're still around hovering around 14%, and we, we still don't have enough women at at the table in general. And, and that means practicing cardiologists or in leadership positions, we just don't have enough women. I think we, you know, even urology now as a specialty attracts more women than cardiology. The only specialties that I think are doing less well than us might be orthopedics and neurosurgery. And orthopedics is making a huge effort to increase its numbers. I can't speak, I don't know a lot about neurosurgery making the effort or not. And cardiology, we we keep talking about this. And, and of course, I think there's many great initiatives underway, including what SCCT has a group for women in imaging. And I think that's fantastic. Making people feel included and that they belong is, is an important part of making people see people that look like them or that they realize that this can community wants them to be part of it and how do we level out the playing field and I think within cardiology and as well the American College of Cardiology this year has made huge efforts we've had we've taken internal medicine residents and opened the doors to them so how can we help them the women that want to do cardiology how can we provide the mentorship to them at the earliest stages so they can be successful and I think you know we need to continue to measure does that make a change did our initiatives change the number of women that are ultimately accepted into cardiology and does it make people at even more junior stages feel that this is a place that they want to be we know that it isn't that the demands of cardiology are somehow worse than other specialties because general surgery certainly i'd say that they're you know the demands of their specialty can be very hard and yet they've attracted more women i would also say obstetrician uh, gynecologists their schedule and call schedule particularly and the predictability is much worse than a cardiologist and yet they've attracted women it's not that women are scared of being on call it's not that women are scared of doing hard work i think what the problem has been and when we've asked women, you know, why they are not interested in cardiology is that nobody has opened the door to them. They haven't been made to feel welcome. They haven't found mentors. And I don't think that women need mentors that are women, although it's certainly nice to have people that you're visually seeing that are successful in their career and kind of look like you. I mean, I think that always helps, but I, many of us, our mentors were men because there wasn't that many women in cardiology when I was training and they were wonderful. They never made me feel as a fellow in training or even when I was a resident saying I wanted to be a cardiologist, they never made me feel that there was an obstacle 
just by me being a woman. And I, I will always appreciate that. And I think that opening doors though, is what you want. So when someone, when you tell somebody, you know, I'm interested in your field, you know, they should be the first one to open the door or to look at our fellows in training, or even earlier, I would say our medical students and our residents and saying, you're really good at cardiology. Have you considered cardiology as a career? What can I show you that might make you interested to join our troops. And I think that that is where it starts. All of us have a story of what helped us decide to do cardiology. For myself, it was, I was a second year medical student. I was loving my cardiology rotation, which was a part of our core part in that year. And you know, I had a cardiologist, his name was Dr. Len Sternberg at University of Toronto. So shout out to Len. But Dr. Sternberg, said to me one day, you're really good at reading EKGs. Now, would that make you a great cardiologist? Who knows? But that was something he noticed. And he said, you should come come to the cath lab with me tomorrow. And where was I the next day? I was in his cath lab and I got to, you know, access the artery. I, I think I was so excited by seeing arterial blood pulsate at me that I stood there for a while going, this is so cool. He's like, okay, we need to enter something now uh, in, in place. And of course, at that point, I thought I wanted to be an interventional cardiologist, but obviously I saw the light. Don't hold that against me, Nidhi. But at that time, it just took somebody saying, you'd be great at this. Come join me. Come see what it is to be a cardiologist. And this person has been a really important mentor to me. I'm actually still in touch with with this cardiologist. So many years later, every time I go back to Toronto, I, I meet up with him because he has, he, I consider him essential. He opened the door for me. And we should remember that when we see our young trainees that haven't made up their mind who don't know what being a cardiologist is. If we see something in them or we, you know, they seem interested or they just seem smart which is pretty much every medical student, you know, let, let's try to open the door, help them consider, could this career be good for them? I think one thing we should always remember is there's always room for more. We, we need so many different people in cardiology from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different racial profiles, and from different genders. And there's no plateau just because we've only had a small number of women. We shouldn't feel that we can't open this door wider to more women because it's going to improve it, this field in general for all of us, if we're all there. And if we, one day, I hope we will say, oh, there's 50% women and 50% men and great. That's what we should be looking for. That's great to learn from you, Dr. Galati. I can, I cannot agree more that seeing people like yourself as a woman leader, as a role model, it's so inspiring. And that has been my personal inspiration to be in cardiology and continue my work in cardiology. So I'm sure our listeners are going to love this talk with you and they're going to learn how inspired you can be just knowing your path and how things went for you when you were training. Okay, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation thus far. Please tune in next time for the second part of the conversation where discussion topics include pregnancy, childcare, and advocacy efforts for women in cardiac imaging. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Once again, this is the Donut of Destiny. Cheers. <laughs>